We're going to start with a video this morning. They say there's a big man who lives far away, supposedly jolly, but it's hard to say. I've never seen him and neither have you. But the children believe, and I suppose that'll do. He's known as a loner with many a quirk, no time for a chat, he's embroiled in his work. He keeps to himself for most of the year. I reckon we're grateful he doesn't appear. We send him requests for particular needs, but we never hear back. Who knows if he heeds? We try to be good, give his arm a twist, to merit our place on his blessed little list. And maybe one day, if we do what we should, he'll give us our things just so long as we're good. <laughs> I've had it to hear. I'm calling his bluff. He's a weird, moralistic dispenser of stuff. Granted, this rant is a strange one to pick, but listen, I'm not really after St. Nick. As strange as he is, and Santa is odd, I'm really addressing most folks' view of God. It's God who we see as some distant big guy, some ancient invisible St. Nick in the sky. He sees you asleep, he knows when you wake, he's watching and waiting to spot your mistake. And just like with Santa, requests we hand in. We want all his things, but we don't want him. That's our connection with old Father Christmas. We might dress it up, it's essentially business. Throughout the year, good behavior's our onus. When Christmas rolls around, we're expecting our bonus. Just leave us our gifts, Nick, we've been good enough. And then please push on, now we've got all your stuff. I mean, Santa is interesting, curious, quirky, but nobody wants him to share their turkey. I'm sure his ho-ho-hos are sublime, but I fear what he'll say once he's drunk our mulled wine. That's old St. Nick, but the picture rings true. It's how we imagine what God is like, too. But Christmas resounds with a stunning not-so. The one from on high was born down below. To a world in need, he did not send another. God the Son became God our brother. He drew alongside forever to dwell. Our God in the flesh, Emmanuel. This God in the manger upends all our notions. A heavenly stooping divine demotion. Born in a stable, wriggling on straw, fully committed to life in the raw. Santa gives things and then goes away. Jesus shows up to befriend and to stay. Santa rewards those for good behavior. Jesus draws near to the broken as savior. If you don't like God, I think I know why. You probably think he's St. Nick in the sky. You're right to reject that faraway stranger. This Christmas, look down to the God in the manger. second week of a message series, and in this series we're studying one passage of scripture found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 9-6, and it's a prophecy that's promising a Savior that will come and shine as a light in the deep darkness, and here's the promise that we read in that passage, Isaiah 9-6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in this series, we're looking at each of these titles for this child that was 
to come. And, and um, the purpose of this series is to give us a bigger and better understanding of who Jesus is. And really, the goal of this series is adoration. Uh, normally, when I do a message series, uh, on the messages in that series have a- action points. Uh, here's something you can, some steps that you can take, or here are three ways to overcome something, or four guidelines for uh, making great decisions, whatever the topic is. And in this message series, I want to pre- present Jesus points. Uh, I want uh, the messages to, uh, the points of the message to increase our understanding of who Jesus is, so that when we get to Christmas, we are filled with a greater sense of awe and wonder of Jesus Christ. And so this last week we looked at the first title, Wonderful Counselor, and the takeaway was this. Jesus is a wonderful, full of wonder, full of miracles, a wonderful counselor who's wonderfully able to help us. Because Jesus is a wonderful counselor, we know that he understands He understands all of our needs, our problems, our circumstances. We know that he cares. We know that he's going to guide our life in a good direction. And we know that he's wonderfully able to help us. So this week we're going to explore that second title. Isaiah prophesied, he, he said that this child was coming. And this child that was to be born would be called Almighty God or Mighty God. And Mighty God was coming down as a baby. And, you know, this is actually pretty astounding if you think about it. Why would God come down? Uh, Why would God come to earth, take on human flesh, and, and dwell with people? Last week we talked about this wonderful God, this God who does wonders, who works miracles, and that are beyond human power and understanding and Uh, parting the Red Sea kind of ways. And why would a God who's able to do what he pleases from whatever distance he he pleases want to become a human being? Why would he not stay in a safe distance and, and do wonders from afar or continue to intervene in the ways that we see him do all the way through the Old Testament? Why would God come? And that's the question that we're going to be exploring this morning as we, as we look at this second title, Almighty God. So if you want to pull out your message notes, we're going to look at three reasons uh, and Almighty God would come down to dwell among people. And the first is, He came to be with us. Um, as you read in scriptures, one of the most undeniable characteristics of God is that he is love and that he loves people. And uh, if you've read through the scriptures, you notice that God is continually making a way to be with people. In the Garden of Eden, we read that uh, he would come down in the cool of the evening and to fellowship with Adam and Eve. Uh, He wanted to be with them. And I think about, you know, when our kids were little and they would come home from school at the end of their day, you know, and we wanted to hear how to, how'd your day go? And we could never pry anything out of them. So we invented this game, best and worst. And, you know, we'd say, what was the best thing? And what was the worst thing? And it would get them, get them talking. So you can kind of, I kind of imagine, you know, God coming to Adam and Eve at the end of the day, just to 
catch up on their day, you know, and put in the Garden of Eden, I guess it would be best and best. But anyway, you know, he just wanted to share their, that time with them and be with them. But then we have sin separating uh, Adam and Eve, separating humankind from people. And so we find uh, when the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, God gives Moses a plan for a tabernacle, right? A tent that he comes down and he fills it with his presence. And I what it would be like, you know, to be camping in the wilderness and have your tent next to God's tent. You know, that'd be pretty awesome. But uh, what a comforting thing that would be. And then later on, Solomon built a temple. God gives the plan for the temple and God comes and he fills it with his glory. He, he wants to be with his people. And the promise of scripture is the promise of God's presence. He's continually drawing near to people. And the ultimate proof of his passion for closeness is God in the manger. God come down to live among us. Isaiah says this child will be born and he'll be almighty God. And then 700 years pass or about that. And we read in Matthew chapter 1, the story of the coming of that child. And here's uh, one of the versions of the Christmas story we find here in Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, you got to understand their culture back then. When you were engaged, you were uh, practically married, even though you weren't married yet. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son... And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, and, and this prophet is the prophet Isaiah too, and just in chapter seven fourteen, we find these words The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. So Isaiah was pointing ahead to Jesus' birth. And telling us that God is going to come down to be with us. And he comes as a baby, wrapped in blankets, passed around, clucked and cooed at, and kissed on the cheek. Emmanuel, God with us. And then does anybody remember how the Gospel of Matthew ends? With the promise, right? Jesus tells his disciples, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. God with us. And then the book of Acts begins with the promise that God is going to send his Holy Spirit to live in us and with us until Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom among us. God loves people. And he came down to be with people because he longs to have a relationship with us, to be with us, to, to be known by us. And, and that's the second reason that he came down. Number two, he came to reveal himself to us. He came to reveal God to us. 
God wants to be known. He's not hiding from us, so we can see him uh, in all that he's created, but he wants us to have an accurate picture of who he is. So Jesus came down, walked among us, taught us God's ways, and made God known. First John 5.20 uh, says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And, you know, I wonder if I ask um, you, which I guess I'm going to go ahead and do, <laughs> what comes to mind when you think about God? What do you think of when you think about God? Love? Okay. Peace, okay. Forgiveness, good. Creation, okay. Justice and joy. Wisdom, good. Holy, right. Security, good. God is a good God, isn't he? We hear all these good, good things about God. And um, we all have a picture of what God is like. And A.W. Tozer said that what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And whether or not you agree with Tozer uh, about this being the most important thing, what you think about God matters immensely. And what you think about, when you think about God, and, and everybody thinks about God at some point in their life, will steer your life. And um, we, were not, we were made for this relationship with God. And so if you feel a tug in your heart and emptiness when you aren't living for God, it's because your heart has like a homing device in it that was implanted by God to create a hunger for him in your heart. You were created for God, to, to be loved by God, and to respond to God. And what A.W. Tozer is saying, and, and the author of the video that we saw earlier as well, they're both pointing to this fact that you're created to relate to God, and if you have a wrong concept or a poor picture of who God is, then you'll spend your whole life responding to the wrong God in the wrong way. And we saw this lived out in a very horrific way this week, haven't we, uh, in San Bernardino. We, we live in a world that is changing in crazy ways because of a radical group who has a distorted picture of who God is. And people around the world are experiencing the pain and the loss of terrorism, all done in the name of God, right? It's not the God that Jesus revealed to us. It's a God that they've invented, but and none of us here have that understanding of God, but what we think about God matters. Everyone here has a picture of God, and that picture affects how we live in powerful ways. And, you know, some people may see God like the guy he's talking there about, uh, like Santa Claus. He's the big scorekeeper in the sky, you know? You feel like He's up there waiting for you to mess up, or he's, he's uh, keeping score, like, you know, keeping tra- tra- track of your debits and your credits. And, and uh, if it all comes out good in the end, you're ahead, well, so, so be it, and that's great. 
But, you know, some of you feel like, maybe feel like he's watching you right now, like, you know. <laughs> some of you may be getting a positive credit today for a negative credit you got last night. Or just, <laughs> you blew it, now you're here taking care of it. That's not how God is. God loves you. God is for you. You know, other people may think that God created the world and he just left it spinning and now we've got to fix it. Uh, New York Times paper this week, God isn't going to fix this, you know. Uh, Some people think he's gone off and and he's not going to fix it. And God doesn't want us to be confused or misguided about what he's like. So God said, I'm going to show you what I'm like. And he came down to earth so that we could know him. And, and I ma- imagine what it would be like if Jesus had never come. And, and all that we had, all that we knew about God was what we can uh, surmise from creation and from what we have in the Old Testament. Uh, it, Jesus gave us a very different picture of God, didn't he? The writer of Hebrews uh, says it in this way. Hebrews uh, 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And Isaiah the prophet was one of those, the the scripture that we're studying. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he has also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. In other words, Jesus was a walking, talking, breathing picture of God. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And this means that when we look at the life of Christ, the heart of Christ, the character of Christ, the mind of Christ, the attitudes of Christ, the way that he treated people, the things that he valued, he is the exact picture of what God is like. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. God is in Christ saying, here's the clearest picture I can give you of who I am. And the strongest statement Jesus made with his life about who God is, is that God is love. God loves you. And that's the third reason that he came down he came down to save us. He came down to save us because he loves us. And only God has the power to overcome death. Only God has the ability and the strength and the power to conquer the grave. But only as a human could he go to the cross, bear our sins, and die in our place. Jesus came as a baby, born of a virgin, fully human, and yet fully God. And he came down because he knew we needed a Savior. Uh, Look again at this story where the angel appears to Joseph, and uh, he says this, but after Joseph had considered this, he was thinking about divorcing Mary. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, uh, is fully God. She will give birth to a son, fully human, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
God came down to, to save us from sin and death. He came as the Savior of the world. He came to be your Savior. He came to be my Savior. And the takeaway that I, I would invite you to take home with you this week is this. The God that came down, came down for you. Apparently it's not there. Just imagine it there. It's in your notes. That's right. The God who came down, came down for you. He came down for you. He loves you. He loves you. Uh, He wanted you to know that. And, And he came down because he loves you. And the communion table is our reminder of the deep love that Jesus Christ has for us and his ability to save us. God sent his son into the world. God has leaned in towards us. Uh, Even those of you who at some time in the past or maybe even recently have leaned away from him, he's drawing near to you today, and he invites you to draw near to him. Grace is available. You're the point of the Christmas story. I'm the point of the Christmas story. Almighty God has come down for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, our almighty God, for humbling yourself, taking on flesh, coming to live among us, so that we could know who you are, what you're like, and how much you love us. And I pray this morning, if there's anybody here who has never received you as their Lord and Savior, never taken that step to give their life to you, that they'll do that this morning. And I just invite you to to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for sending your son to die for me. I accept what was done for me on the cross. I ask that you forgive me for my sins and that you send your son, Jesus, to, to live in me. I'm offering you my life this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.